diastasis, diastasis, a difficult word to pronounce and maybe a difficult concept to wrap your head around. Whether you feel like you have personal experience with it or work with women who describe this as a meaningful thing in their life, I'm glad you found yourself here listening to this episode. It's very common for my clients to have some of these questions or comments. I think I have that ab separation thing. Can you check? How long is this going to take to heal? I'm scared I'll do something that makes it worse. I feel nervous to strengthen my core because I don't know what is good and what is bad. My friend bought me this belly band because she said it would help my abs not stretch apart in pregnancy. I can't seem to avoid coning or doming. Will you measure my gap? Listeners, do any of these feel or sound familiar? I'm grateful to have Manira Houdani back on the podcast to revisit this ever so important topic. Munira is a fellow pelvic health physiotherapist whose passion with diastasis started many years back, and since then, she has dedicated thousands of hours to diving into research, creating courses, and is world-renowned for her work in this area. If you haven't already listened to episode four, I encourage you to pause this and listen to that one first. In that episode, we go into detail around what diastasis is, as well as considerations for both before and after birth. I asked Munira if she would come back this time so we could talk a little bit about why there is still so much confusion surrounding the topic. On one end of the spectrum, you'll be hearing messages like, be careful, avoid certain movements, your body is dysfunctional if you feel stretch between your abdominal muscles. And on the other end of the spectrum, you'll hear messages like, oh, it's a normal adaptation. We don't need to be so fearful of this. The goal is not to avoid core. We need to strengthen it. There are no bad exercises. The gap isn't as important as we once thought. Why is this all so confusing? Keep in mind, we are always learning in healthcare, and this is an area that hasn't had a lot of research associated with it. And now that we are seeing more research, we're realizing that some of the old messaging isn't exactly accurate. I hope this episode helps to clarify some of that confusion. I'll be right back with the amazing Munira Houdani. Before we get going, I know many of you listeners are also physiotherapists because you have reached out, curious about recommendations for pelvic health courses, so I want to take time to ensure you know about the Cheerful Academy, created by two highly skilled and experienced physiotherapists. Anakin Chadwick and Trish Gibson have teamed up to offer an online training and mentorship platform for physios looking to feel more capable and confident in their practice. Their signature offering is the Pelvic Health Fundamentals course. It's designed for physios who have taken the internal courses, but feel they have some gaps in their knowledge or tend to feel stuck with how to apply what they've learned once they get into the treatment room. The course is designed not to overwhelm you with information, but rather to help you get clear and make your next day in clinic easier. So if you're looking to build your clinical competence and confidence in pelvic health, then this is something I would recommend. The next cohort kicks off in January 2024. Follow the link in the show notes to take advantage of $150 off before December 15th. All right, Manira, I'm I'm really thankful to have you back again. You came for episode four. And in that episode, we talked a bit about diastasis and just kind of all kind of through the weeds, I want to say, like we talked about the details around what is diastasis? Why does it happen? What are some things people could know in pregnancy and postpartum? Just really kind of going, dissecting it a little bit to help people understand. And I thought about you again, because I I basically pick my episodes based on what people are always asking about in the clinic. And I think not only from seeing patients, but also to just helping to educate new pelvic health physios, I think the questions are quite often very similar. And what I would say that I notice is a lot of confusion around like, so are we supposed to measure the gap? And do I need to worry about this? Because I'm hearing I don't and I'm hearing I do and I'm hearing I shouldn't do certain things. But I'm also hearing that I should get back to everything and I I just a message of confusion. And so I thought we could talk today a little bit about 
what are we learning? We're always learning as we go in healthcare and maybe ask you to help everybody understand like where did we start with all of this what have we seen over the years and maybe just to help understand why the confusion is there because I think sometimes we're just hearing or sharing maybe some outdated information and we're not up to date on what some of the new literature is saying so I think people will find this very helpful in kind of understanding okay that's why I'm hearing some of this information that maybe feels like a discrepancy from my other healthcare provider before we go I just want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to hear a little bit about yourself because we're so lucky to have you in our, not only in the country of Canada, but internationally as someone that is really up to date on the literature when it comes to diastasis. And you're such an advocate for not only collaborating with other professionals, but just helping um, us all share better quality information. So will you share a little bit about yourself, Manira? Wow, thank you so much for all of those kind words. Um, all of that back to you as well. Um, yes, it. Uh, I was going, I had looked to see when that last episode was that we that we did together and what were the things that we discussed back then. And, um, and it is pretty amazing how much has changed and yet how much has still stayed the same. And we'll talk about in, that in a little bit. Um, a little bit about me, I, I, this is a topic that I'm just very, very passionate about. And it stemmed from not my own experience of having diastasis, which I know is often a, one reason why some people sort of pursue particular passions is because they've gone through it themselves. But I became interested in it long before I was pregnant myself. And it was just because I had a desire to help more pre and postnatal individuals. And um, just through that and, and having a very full, busy caseload, because I just ended up seeing so many people, I knew um, just through their questions of what they can do for their core and or why their core continues to look a certain way, despite doing all the right things. Um, these were questions that they were asking me and questions that I um, really wanted to be able to answer, but also answer in a way that wasn't necessarily creating so much fear. So uh, with diastasis, especially back in the day, and I, I say back in the day, meaning about 10-ish years ago, um, the concept of diastasis was really one of, uh, uh, of it being a condition that we need to be so guarded around and very conservative and cautious around. And, you know, it was what I was taught. And it was also then what I was teaching, both to professionals and to patients as well. And I had to go, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to go through my own sort of evolution in understanding things, because there were certain things that I was talking about and educating and stating that wasn't quite sitting right with me. Um, and so I had to I had to sort of switch things in my own mind and in order to be able to feel better about helping people without creating barriers for them to continue on doing things that they love and not holding them back. So there was a period of time where I kind of just dove into research. Um, I ended up reading, things that weren't related to diastasis, but were related to the core and were related to muscle function and exercise physiology. And, and I ended up just sort of putting everything together. And then it just sort of, like I said, switched completely how I saw it. And from there, I felt more empowered. And I felt that through that empowered state, I was able to then share that with other patients and professionals so that they can feel empowered in what they're doing. And that's kind of what leads us to where we are today. That is, it has been an ongoing thing. My mission is still to empower both patients and professionals to understand diastasis better and to help them have more clarity around it so that they can um, have less fear around the condition. Sometimes I think of 
you know, it's it's very much, and we talked about this in the last episode, in episode four, but essentially a natural adaptation to needing to grow a baby. And sometimes I think of, I'll show people in the clinic my pelvic model that has some give in it. And I explain, like, we also have different adaptations in our body in pregnancy, like the pelvis, for example, has to change. And it it's so neat that it changes in order to provide some more give to the system because we have to grow this massive um, like watermelon in our abdomen and in our pelvis. And so uh, we get these different adaptations that change a lot of different things, like how our body moves and how our body feels and how our bodies function. And I mean, obviously people have different symptoms in pregnancy when it comes to their pelvis, like pain or movement feels different. But then I think that postpartum, people have an, an understanding that you know, I have to get back to some more movement. I need to do some strengthening and some coordination. But I think there's left less fear with that aftermath, let's say. You know, it's kind of people understand like there's this change with my pelvis. It makes sense that I feel weaker or I feel things are different or I can't run the same. But I don't think the same fear is there as is with diastasis, because it's a very similar analogy in some ways that there's an adaptation going on with the abdomen. And in the pelvis, we always explain to people, there's a laundry list of things that are changing. There's not just one thing, but I think in, in the parallel in the abdomen, you know, we've started to pick on just the space between our abdominal muscles and then, and then postpartum, you know, I think it's confusing because it doesn't just look like a space. Everything feels different. My appearance is different. And and it's funny how we have a different magnifying glass on our on our abdomen than we do our pelvis. And I, I think about that and think like, as you, I know we're going to talk about a little bit today, it isn't just about the space, but how people feel in their bodies. And I, I do, I see that difference with people and how different they feel with their postpartum pelvis or anywhere else in their body compared to their core. Right. Yeah, that is such a great point. Um, the idea that there are natural adaptations that happen throughout pregnancy and also that happen in the sort of recovery or restoration time postpartum. And yet when we are talking about diastasis specifically, because of the fact that we have been so magnified and zoomed in into one specific part, it's um, it's like we're zooming in and we're seeing all the things that happen to it and what influences it and what doesn't and what makes things worse and and what we should and then we then go on to try to figure out how to help those things so that it it, it itself doesn't get worse and. I think that there is absolutely a need for us to just take a step back and not look so cl closely at the linea alba. And in order to do that, we have to somewhat appreciate that the linea alba remains in the center of a whole muscular system and connective tissue system. And so when we do take that step back, we can appreciate how muscles that are around it influence it, but also how it's therefore somewhat just the receiver of what's happening around it and not necessarily contributing to, to a lot of the things that we say it's contributing to. Um, and regarding natural adaptation in pregnancy versus the idea that having diastasis, um, as it's sort of described right now, but the narrative is changing. And yet there's also very, there are multiple narratives happening at the same time right now. Um, there's this idea that stretching of the tissue is an injury. So instead of it being considered like this, a natural thing that occurs in pregnancy to allow for the baby to grow, because of all the fear around it, it's sort of presented in the way of it being an injury. And so it's kind of this sort of full circle mechanism of there's, there's an injury. So, it, so therefore we need to be very cautious around what we do with this tissue afterwards, 
but also just the narrative of I have a diastasis and therefore it is an injury. It's kind of like it goes both ways. And so I think when we're talking about having tissue that has been stretched and that we are working towards um, just helping the tissue regain as much as possible, its resilience, its stiffness, some of its potential elasticity, its thickness. So when we're talking about what we can do about it, if we approach it from the lens of this is an injury, then all the fear around what, ha what happens with an injury can actually become a barrier to moving someone forward in almost what they actually need to do rather than so i feel like we we end up prematurely stopping people in their in whatever potential they're able to achieve we stop them before they get there um and so because of the fact that we haven't necessarily taken this structure and looked at it from beyond just it being you know, injured tissue, we a lot of people are sort of, sort of within that narrative right now, we've held people back from moving again, moving forward from that. Now, it is so confusing when you go online, and you see two completely different pieces of advice for when you have diastasis on what you can do, and what you what you can do from one person is you can do all the exercises that you want and you're okay to do them. And yet at the same time, you can just click on the next Google link in the search um, feed and you'll see all the exercises that you shouldn't do and can't do. And if you do, you're going to make it worse. So the confusion that we are in the middle of right now is simply because there has been within at least the 10 year span that I've been very interested in this condition, there has been shifts that are happening from how we are understanding it, how we conceptualize it. And so as that information is being shared currently, it is there just layering on top or staying right in beside the information that was there previously. And the thing is, we get all of our information this day and age online, whether it's through YouTube videos or Google search and blog articles or now podcasts or Instagram and social media, we get all of our information from the internet. And the internet in many ways is an interesting thing where if you have a piece of information, a blog or a YouTube video that has had a lot of views, and it will therefore be presented to more people. It'll show up in more people's feeds on more people's search pages. And so the, the information that was there from before just has the advantage of time because more and more people have been able to see it just because it's been there longer. And hence they do show up pretty close to the front of the, the feed. Um, and that's why you have both and they're both very dominant. Still right now, it's possible that the more dominant messaging could still be around the, the fear-based messaging, but there are absolutely efforts being made to put more information out there to counteract that and basically just to update people. So the reason why it's confusing is that is because we have different paradigms of where we're coming from. And both of those paradigms are out there. And unfortunately, they contradict each other and they're in conflict with each other. So, of course, that first of all, just having the diagnosis of diastasis, that could be a barrier because of, you know, what we used to think about it. But now, if you think you have diastasis and you weren't necessarily afraid but now you go online and you search for something and you see on in one site it says this you do these certain things and you're going to be worse and on another site you see them say that actually these are all okay to do and you should just do them gradually 
the confusion is also a barrier. So now it's not just fear, but it's confusion because in confusion, you actually have no idea which path to take and which, and if one path is better than the other. And I think it leads to just people saying like, I avoid my core. That's what I hear yeah. all the time is I avoid. Right. I'm, I'm curious then, because I think you've set this up really well. If I think of someone like my grandmother, I have two grandmothers in their hundreds. And if I think of it, one of them had four children and one of them had five children. And if I think back to what it would have been like in their time, I guarantee they would have cared about what their abdomen looked like after, but there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have a clue the term diastasis. Um, they, I really highly doubt they would have been working on core exercise or even any focused exercise because they would have been busy around the home with multiple kids. The goal would have just been able to work around the home and tend to the kids again. And so I'm curious if, can you say a little bit about like, when did we start feeling fearful? Cause I think women have always been a bit, um, attentive to or some more than others but attentive we tend to be attentive to what we look like so I think that's always been a concern I'm sure but when did it start to become something that was diagnosed and when did we start talking about diastasis and when did this become fearful um I know that so before the 70s I don't think it was even mentioned at all um, I think it's in the 70s where the, te the noble technique itself, you know, the noble technique is the one where you have a scarf wrapped around your abdomen and you, you pull the muscles together and you do head lifts. Um, I believe that's when that came out and specifically for diastasis. So there may have been mention about it then. And then... I think honestly, we started having the ability to talk about it more, probably as recent as the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like I really don't, I really don't think we're, we're we have historically a lot of um, uh, information or like a relevance to what diastasis is. We, we don't have that context. I think it's a very current phenomenon, a current problem, um, current within the past 10 years, potentially within the past 20 or 30, potentially. Um, but it is, it's sort of the awareness has grown exponentially, simply because of social media. And so social media has allowed us to, it, it's amazing, because you can have so much awareness being shone on one particular topic. But you could also have a situation that we're in right now where if you're not keeping up with the research that's also happening in behind the scenes, then what's also being presented and talked about and shared, there could be a delay or a lag in what's shared and what's current. So, um, yeah, I think I think it, it is mainly a... So <laughs> a condition that became uh, very well known due to social media more than anything else. So can you talk a little bit about, so, so let's assume that, you know, we're just starting to hear about this. You said kind of around 10 years ago that we start to hear, Oh man, you know, this is going on. We've got stretch between the rectus abdominis or the, the six pack muscles, if you will. Um, there's a stretch going on between there and, and it's creating an appearance of a dome or a cone and we must be careful of this. We have to let it, he quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, but heal. We need to let it heal um, and we have to be very mindful that we don't do certain exercises, I think is kind of maybe where a lot of this started. And um would you say, will, will you speak a little bit to that in, in kind of, you know, how that started and then maybe talk a little bit of, well, you say this however you want, Manira, but I think what I'm getting at is what kinds of things started to change? Like what, 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 what kinds of research started coming out saying like, oh, geez, um, you know, because I think a lot of that probably just wasn't founded on any data. It was just oh, this appearance of something. So can you speak a little bit to how that transition to start to kind of change the messaging? 
Okay. Um, well, just going backwards for one second, there was a noble technique and then at some point, and I don't know if it was in the 90s, I'd have to double check, um, or the early 2000s, there was Julie Tupler as well. So Julie Tupler also was, a, was very much focused on diastasis and probably still is to this day and has certification courses. Um, so she helped to bring awareness to, about diastasis out there. Um, and so with regards to change of how we view it, change through research findings, I would say the most um, hallmark moment was when the 2016 study from Diane Lee came out, Diane Lee and Paul Hodges, the famous tension study. So that study, for those who are unfamiliar, essentially brought our minds to this idea of what of tension. So rather than the gap reducing or closing, when certain muscles contract like the rectus versus the TA, or the combination of them, what happens at the level of the linea alba changes. But what they were really demonstrating was that when the TA muscle contracts, it creates some tension through the linea alba. Whereas when the rectus muscle contracts, it creates more slack in the linea alba in the supine or lying down on your back position. Um, and then when you contract both, they somewhat negate the effects of each other and you have less of that tensioning or less widening. I wouldn't say less tensioning, you have less widening um, because the rectus goes one way and the TA goes the other way. So there was, um, there was tension that was introduced sometime around 2016, but we know it takes about eight years or so for research to actually make its way into clinical practice. Um, but at the same time, when anything by Diane Lee comes out, it also creates a wave of um, just shareability and, and everybody starts to talk about it and shares it because, you know, it's just usually it's very groundbreaking stuff. So from 2016, and so that's only, oh, that is about eight, eight years ago, roughly. I'm sorry to interrupt me near, but would you say from that, and maybe this is what you were about to say, but from that research, I think what came is a little bit more kind of attentiveness to certain muscles, right? And that's where sometimes we started maybe as physios learning, oh, we need to start cueing certain muscles more, um, you know, getting maybe instead of just saying, go ahead and do core exercise, we started being a little bit more specific on, you know, let's get in this position, then progress to this position. Would you say that that study was big for us as physios and changing how we recommended things? Um, I think the goal for why we were recommending them changed, but the specific attentiveness to muscles was probably laid in the foundation before then. So the noble technique was a very rectus abdominis specific movement or exercise program. And then Julie Weeb, sorry, not Julie Weeb, um, Julie Tupler, her program was very much TA focused, so about abdominal drawing in um, and advised against rectus abdominis work. So there were like individual muscle groups kind of being promoted as the, you know, the go-to muscles for diastasis. But then, um, but however, Julie Weeb does enter the picture as well because she introduced this concept of core breath and, and piston breathing, which then brought our attention to the inner core muscles, the deep core muscles, as did Diane Lee. So we go from the individual muscles to now the deep core being a system of muscles. Um, and I think we stayed there for a while. We stayed there for a while. And we did that with everything. We did the the deep core breathing with the uh, bridges and bird dogs and exercises at the gym. And, and we just sort of did that. And that was kind of our way. Um, and, and now we've gone even further than that, rather than only focusing on deep core, we have now seen through research what stretching of the abdominal wall 
does to the thickness of all of the abdominal muscles, including the superficial or outer muscles like the rectus abdominis, like the obliques, um, and that those with diastasis tend to have weakness in those specific muscles. So there was this somewhat um, important need to uh, at least acknowledge that these muscles were weak or and can become weak after pregnancy, especially in those who tend to have diastasis. And yet there was a conflicting narrative around that still that needed to sort of be combated against, which was you're, if you do any kind of rotation exercises or use your obliques, you're going to create a, a worse situation. You're going to worsen your diastasis. If you do any head lifts or crunches, you are going to worsen your diastasis. So there was a period of time not too long ago, maybe even just a couple of years ago, even potentially up until last year, where we have research that says these muscles are weak and should be strengthened. Um, and we have the conflicting narrative of if you strengthen those muscles by doing any movements that involve those muscles, you're going to make it worse. However, there has now even in the past probably 12 months, more research has been coming out as we continue to talk about specific muscles um, where now finally, these are just sort of basic studies that just kind of needed to be done to somewhat squash a lot of the thoughts that were out there, but just studies on what, what it's like, what happens to the linea alba when you contract the TA and what, what happens to the linea alba when you contract the rectus abdominis and what happens to the linea alba when you do something like a diagonal curl up, which involve uh, with uh, a pre-activation. So now you're having the TA, the rectus, the um, obliques all working together. And so with a couple of these studies, we are now able to see you do not make the diastasis worse by doing these. You make the muscles stronger, You people become stronger without worsening their diastasis. So finally, we have evidence there just as of 2023. Um, and so now, and that's kind of a journey through time, like a little bit of history regarding like how we were approaching things and, and what what we were focusing on as practitioners and what people were potentially focusing on at home. And so now um, the shifts continue to happen. So there's, there was the shift from like what muscles should be working on. So rather than it being like work on this rectus muscle or TA, now it's essentially work on rebuilding the strength and the function of the whole abdominal wall, work on all of the muscles um, and do, do them at a level that is appropriate for you. So the shift here that I'm talking about is it used to be don't do certain movements or exercises and definitely don't do things that are hard and intense and challenging. And now it's, well, some may have misinterpreted a message of now you should be actually continuing to strengthen um, beyond rehab, gentle exercises and continue to progress and load and overload. Um, however, some people tend to take that messaging, I would say too far, where they say, like, just do anything you want and push hard, um, and you're going to be fine. So there is some messaging that has gone a little too far to one side, whereas we compare it to what it used to be. But in the middle is where we're kind of landing right now, which is progress yourself, progress your exercises, work at a level that is appropriate for you. So if you find certain exercises are easy, move them along until you do find them challenging um, and work towards the, your fatigue point, but also make sure you know what you're watching out for. Understand and educate yourself on the things you should be watching out for, such as uncontrollable doming, um, uncontrollable, hard doming. And I, I don't know if you want to go into that, but um, watching out for things like pain and for leaking and, um, and your your strategy and, and just your ability to do the exercise if you're losing your form and, and those sorts of things. So it's like, yes, let's move you forward. But here, let's make sure you also understand what 
um, to keep in mind as you do that. So giving them the tools to then go ahead and move forward with their program so that they could hopefully see changes in it. So there's a shift in muscles and, and also strengthening and like our approach. And then there's also been a shift in um, what we are looking at that indicates something has changed. So we were talking before about gap size, how wide it is and the, the focus with diastasis is and always has been reducing the size of the gap, making it narrow, making it less wide. And then through the 2016 study, we were able to have either a shift in what the goal was from reducing the gap to instead of that, now the goal is to create tension or to have tension through the linea alba. But now it's, it's less about having I would say there's even less emphasis on closing the gap and even more being put on to uh, creating a system of tension within, within the abdominal wall, not even just the linea alba. And therefore there's a change in what we're focusing on from gap size to tissue quality, the connective tissue quality, um, which we would be able to look at things like depth, how far your fingers sink in to the linea alba, how does it feel, how thick does it feel, comparing the thickness or thinness or quality to parts of the linea alba that may not have been stretched as far in pregnancy. So having another way to assess change beyond gap size. So there's a shift that way too. And then naturally just through efforts of many people, a shift away from fear-based messaging towards um, empowering an educational messaging, but one of empowering people to continue doing what they want to do or helping them get back to what they want to do. I think that's, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer, but I think sometimes we, we get stuck in the weeds too as physios in, in um, thinking we need, yeah, measure certain things or want to help people yeah. improve. Um, you know, they might come in and say, I have diastasis. And then we have a tendency to go straight to measuring things. And I think it's really helped me through all I've learned through this journey, like in the last few years too, is just when someone comes in to our clinic setting, you know, we always ask, why are you here? And maybe mm -hmm. that's what they bring up. I'm here because I have diastasis. And, and I've started to just start by just asking like, and what does that mean to you? Like what, what, how does that bother you? Because you hear everything. And sometimes it's my gaps not closing and that's what's meaningful to them. Some people will say, I, I hate the looks of it. And some people will say, in my head, I can't do core exercise until it's resolved. Like everybody has a different meaning. Some people really don't care what it looks like and they just want to get back to rock climbing and they think it's dangerous or like I said, maybe they just care about the appearance. And and so what I tend to do, I have all sorts of different props and videos on my computer and I'll, I'll help them understand first what, what you've just done in a condensed version and explain like, this is what we used to think. Um, this is what we're, we're knowing now. Like, yes, you have some stretch tissue, but it's not just the tissue between your muscles. I mean, your fatty tissues have stretched, your skin has stretched, other muscles around this midline have stretched. But what we have tend to tell people in the past is wait till it gets stronger and then we'll strengthen it. But that doesn't really make sense, does it? We kind of say that we'll just wait for everything to get better. And then when that's better, we'll strengthen it. But tissues don't get stronger or thicker if we don't provide them with a load or, or resistance. And so um, this is what we can do with your tissues. But I, I, and, and then I often get people to try different activities, like maybe blow up a balloon or pull some bands apart or lift their leg or do something that looks like rock climbing. And, and I get them to start noticing, like, notice what habits you use. And they'll often say, I never use these muscles in my low core. They can know I'm using all the ones in the top and my hip flexors do a lot of work or something like that. And they start to notice, oh, I'm not actually utilizing those muscles very well. No wonder it feels squishier there, for lack of a better term. But I always am mindful to say as a physio, I'm 
I can help you get stronger and help you progress your exercises, but I can't promise you a flat tummy anymore because you've had a lot of changes. And I think sometimes they link. Um, if I just get my diastasis better or healed and do all the things the physio says, I will look how I want. So it's just so many things tied into it. And I think that we just need to find out because everybody has such a different meaning attached to this. And I think strengthening is something we can absolutely help them with, but we can't promise that by working on this, we will necessarily help them achieve all their goals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard for people too, because in, in some cases, that is all they want is they want yeah. a stomach. Um, and all all we can offer is I mean, not all we can offer. I mean, we what we can offer is something incredible, like an individualized program that could potentially help create changes and and move them towards that goal. It's just we're not able to make that promise of how far down that line or path that they'll get with it. Um, and I think what you mentioned is kind of the most important thing is finding out what it means to them to have diastasis. So what is it that they are coming in for? Um, and I find that the, I mean, maybe I might be generalizing, but I, I find that we're not doing still a maybe a good enough job or as detailed we're not going as detailed as we need to with these conversations with our patients um, about what they want, what what they really want out of it, or what what are their goals? What do they really hope for? Um, especially when it comes to having a flatter or a flat stomach, um, I find that having a flat stomach usually is not even the end goal. The the reason why they want the flat stomach is kind of their end goal. So the reason that why they want it is potentially because they, they want to feel better within their own skin. They want to feel um, better in their clothes. They want to be able to rekindle intimacy with their partner, which they've sort of been avoiding um, because they, they just feel uncomfortable undressing um, or being naked. They don't want to be touched. They potentially want to um, hide or disguise their abdomen. So it could be along those lines, or it could be they um, they want a flat stomach because they think that that is that closing the gap is going to get them there. But therefore, because they have a, a closed gap, it's going to mean that they're stronger again, that they're they're aka fixed. And so therefore, they can do all the things that they used to do and want to do. Um, so it's kind of like, if I can just get that one thing done, then I know I'm cleared, and I don't have to worry. Um, and I'll have all, you know, I, I can be mentally free to go and and exercise unrestricted. So that it's like a, a weight that they're hoping to lift off their their shoulders. Um, so just going even just a bit deeper than you know, what, why do they want it? They want it for a flat stomach. And then why? It's not necessarily because we're going to be able to help them achieve those goals. But even just having the conversation or opening the door for them to holding the space for them to have, you know, a place for them to be open about these things, they may not have necessarily thought about it, or talked about it with anybody before. So it gives them a chance to also just reflect on really what is it that I'm that I'm hoping for. And potentially some of these things fall more in the realm of like mental health and should really be um, addressed by an appropriate professional, like a mental health professional, especially when it comes to things like body image and um, body confidence and those sorts of things. But that's kind of, that's kind of what happens when we zoom out and we do look at the whole picture and not just remain focused on the gap as we're able to see how it's affecting them as a person once we find out what it means to them um, specifically but also when we zoom out and look less at just the linea alba and we kind of look at the whole presentation of of what's in front of us it, it could be that the person is coming in with a distended abdomen and or it could be that the person is coming in with um, 
not too much distension, but there is a noticeable vertical gap between the rectus muscles, or it could be that they're just feeling really weak and don't necessarily have a lot of aesthetic changes, but they're feeling really weak. And so zooming out of just the gap and how big is it, how wide is it really lets us see the full picture and can steer us in, in the right direction of how to help them again, reaching the, helping them reach their goals. So let's say someone's listening and, you know, whether it be practitioner or patient and they're taking away from this, hopefully that, okay, I don't need to be so nervous about my body. My body is still strong and it's resilient and it's, it's not broken, but there are changes. Um, where do I start? And so I think that's where people turn to social media is like, okay, I need to get the preliminary exercises or, or I get that a lot like, okay, just give me the exercises. And, and I'm always say there, there aren't magical exercises. This is where, this is where I always ask, what do you want to do? What are your goals? Cause I want to make sure with your limited amount of time, we find something that's interesting to you, but let's speak a little bit too then. So someone's fine. Okay. I, maybe I can do more than I think. Um, I think we would both suggest that an individualized assessment is very helpful because no two people have the same, like you said, um, changes or the same strategies they've developed. No two people have the exact same body. So it, it is hard to generalize and say, this is the first level of exercises. This is the second level. But any exercise can be something to try, right? It's in, how would you suggest, um, so I, I think that's what we're saying is it's helpful to have an individualized assessment by maybe someone that is speaking some of this current information, right? But let's say, let's say that's a barrier to someone, you know, they can't make it in to somebody um, and, and they do feel they're confident starting something on their own. Mm -hmm. Um. Will you speak a little bit to suggestions you would have for people there? Because I think, you know, we're hoping they t they have less fear, but they have a place to start too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think the, the approach there would be first to sort of educate yourself on um, some of the more current ideas around it. So when you're scanning the internet or scanning social media, and you're trying to go in, and, and you're doing that with the purpose of learning about diastasis, you're looking for information that isn't fear based, you're looking for, um, you know, you're looking for things that would sort of give you a sense that, okay, this is a bit more outdated. So some of the outdated ideas would be, the idea of restricting movements when you'll see exercise lists of what you can do and what you can't do with diastasis, those are not really being followed at least currently anymore because now we can appreciate that all exercise, as you mentioned, can be helpful. And so restricting yourself to any particular list of exercises that you should do and shouldn't do, that will ultimately just kind of keep you stuck in a box. So if you see a site that talks about these things, you may want to move on to the next site. Um, or if you're seeing um, information that is really, really gap specific, talking about how to close the gap, what to do about the gap, and just no mention of anything else, such as connective tissue tension, linea alba tension, or, or tissue quality, um, linea alba depth. These are some more current ideas, which relate to the, you know, the quality, like I said, of the connective tissue, rather than the gap size. So you're looking for, you know, people who are talking about that, rather than just gap size, you're looking for um, people who are encouraging you to go ahead and exercise at a level that's appropriate for you. Um, but giving you some things to look out for and not making you feel extremely afraid of what would happen if you see it and telling you just to stop everything entirely. So people who are giving you some options around if you see this, if you see a lot of doming that feels really hard, then here are some ideas for you for how you can modify things. So um, you're looking for that kind of approach rather than a black and white blanketed list of exercises that you should do or shouldn't do. Uh, and that at least it lets you 
sort of move down, I would say, a, like a better path that will get you going further down the, I guess, exercise path for helping your core. Sometimes, um, sometimes what I do in the clinic is I ask them, you know, give me some exercises, give me some core exercises that maybe you, you do normally or that you would avoid. And I say, let's just do it. Let's try it and just notice what it feels like, because maybe you'll find that it feels great. And then you've almost been avoiding it for no reason. What let's just try it and see how it feels. Um, Because I think the goal is that everybody learns how to modify their own exercise. I always say no two people will be the same. And so your neighbor might be at a different level than you and the goal would be that you can figure out what level you're at but I start with kind of um you know just what what's your goal and let's try it and notice how it feels in your body and quite often they'll say do you know what it's actually not even my core I'm concerned about my shoulders are too weak for this Mm -hmm. or my back is I don't know feels like it's sagging in this position and so I say okay great you've you have some information and then give some suggestions for modification um and but before that, we've talked about how to start to recognize feelings in their body and maybe how to, you know, make, whether it be a cue that they're using or a visual that they're using to kind of help those muscles that they would have considered, I don't feel they're helping, you know, that it would be a cue that would help them feel, oh, I feel that area differently. And where I'm going with this is you mentioned that some of the symptoms someone might feel are yeah, pain or a certain level of fatigue that you know is too much. Or, yeah, maybe they're leaking. Maybe it feels heavy. Maybe you just feel that that midsection of your body just feels vulnerable and you just feel that it's not helping out with the movement. But this is where the doming comes in. And you've alluded to kind of hard dome, soft dome, because this is a question that people always have. And I think practitioners stumble on too, is how do I know besides things like pain and leaking and some of those obvious things, how do I know that that, exercise is too hard um how much doming is okay right so doming is um something that i also think is a bit misunderstood Mm -hmm. in general um and we have no research on doming just let's just put that out there we have not been researching doming itself so whatever anybody is talking about um, it, it is just theoretical. It's not necessarily research-based. So that being said, um, when it comes to doming, the idea used to be one of let's avoid it at all costs. Anytime you see it, it should not be, that exercise should not be done, um, which never sat well with me re- at all. But now the messaging is changing around doming. Um, And it's coming through an understanding of what is happening when you see doming. And what you're seeing is tissues that are slack have their slack, that slack is being taken up because of the pressure underneath it, filling out into that space and, and therefore stretching out that tissue. And so if that pressure that was there increases, even more then there'll be even even more tension within that that tissue tension meaning no slack the, the tissues the slack in the tissue has been taken up and so if you just keep going with that and adding more and more pressure then the tissue would kind of stretch and stretch and stretch but then also reach a place where it's being stretched potentially beyond what it could currently tolerate and we want to avoid that we want to that's where it could lead to further damage of the tissue and we're taking it beyond its current ability to tolerate that stress but doming usually does not lead to that much stress on tissues that level of doming um, is very rarely seen. It's what we would call a hard dome. And there's so much pressure inside that when you go and feel the tissues there and the linea alba, it feels very firm to your fingers. Um, and that would indicate they are being fully stretched out and potentially in their end range. Um, 
And so usually what we end up seeing with doming is that when you're feeling it, it's quite, it's firm or it's soft or it's somewhere in between. And it's usually not really hard. And therefore what that means is that the tissues are not being strained or stressed to that degree. And so they're not in the, that vulnerable state. With doming, as long as you can feel softness and it's not hard, then that exercise is okay from a straining perspective. It is not straining those tissues. It's not always easy to tell between like, you know, a somewhat firm and a hard dome, but this at least gives you an idea to work with, a concept to work with. So when you're trying out different exercises, and I would recommend people try out several different exercises to at least explore what happens in their linea alba, what kind of doming they see. If they do a very light, easy exercise, what happens? What do you feel? What do you see? What happens in, in terms of doming? If it feels very soft, okay, you've got that. And then go ahead and try some really hard exercises um, and see what happens there, feel it. And, and then you'll have some things to compare to. You'll have more information you can work with, some feedback there, soft dome and hard doming. And you'll be able to see that your body does different things depending on the exercise or the movement that you're actually doing. And then you'll be able to recognize that, okay, there are different presentations of doming and that not all doming, um, not all doming is, is going to lead to tissue straining. And actually most doming isn't. That's usually the conclusion people end up having after exploring with their movements that most of the doming they're feeling actually isn't hard doming. So it just, it takes a little bit of time to explore movements and just having a bit of information and education around doming will give you at least something to work with. Would you not say too that if we're not seeing any doming or coning, perhaps the exercise isn't hard enough? Like that we're almost maybe not um, taking the tissues to their level of potential. It, it depends on the position of the exercise, and it depends on the um, the person as well, um, and what their tolerance is. Because actually, in some cases, like doming, it's, it is expected for a lot of people who have really thinned out tissue, a doming is expected. Um, and if you're lying on your back and you're doing some supine exercises and you see some doming, let's say you're doing some leg raises and you see some doming and it feels really soft, that exercise could still feel really hard for the person because we're not necessarily working, um, we're not necessarily working the, the lateral muscles, which could potentially pull through the linea alba and press down on it, or the position itself may not be one that really allows those muscles to do that, but it, it allows, let's say the rectus abdominis to work really well. So I think it just depends on the exercise, the position. Um, and I find that most supine exercises in general really don't create that level of hard dome. Um, but it doesn't mean that that exercise isn't hard enough because it could be hard for other reasons. Mm -hmm. That's fair. So I'd say overall, I think, you know, one of the messages we're trying to get across is just that we're always learning in healthcare. And so just to be mindful of some of the information you're consuming and, and when you do find the right information, it should feel a bit freeing. I think you just that, okay, this isn't quite as stressful as I thought. And my body is not broken and there is lots of hope, but it always depends on what your goals are. I think it's important for everybody to kind of you know, as a patient going in to see someone to really, you know, gather your thoughts on what your goals are going in and do not hesitate to express those. As practitioners, we need to make sure we ask that, right? And I think just, you know, we, we need to meet people where they're at. What, what are you currently doing? What is your current level of information? Help people fill those gaps and then, and then you know, find exercises or activities that are that are meaningful to them to help address that, that whole abdomen, right? Not just one muscle or one area, but help coordinate the whole, the, the whole area. I used to work in neuro before. So lots of, you could say stroke rehab or brain injury rehab. And, 
And you're always looking at the whole person and you might have to do some quote unquote little exercises or drills because when they reach for their spoon, they use it their shoulder more than their their forearm or something like that. So I might have to give them some exercises aimed at that part of their arm, but my goal is still the whole movement. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's helpful for us to look at patients and see what are they currently doing? Like, what is the strategy their brain has decided to use? Because somehow it's not working for them. That's why they came in here, right? They came in because somehow that strategy is not working for them. And we need our job is to kind of help figure out that strategy and help them learn to use that body as a a whole in a more coordinated fashion. But then also just progress because we want them to get to the level of their their goal, right? And and some people have lofty goals. And so our our goal is to help them um be able to succeed in that way. Can you uh, you have some different resources and and I I want to start with, you know, I want you to talk about because you have some resources that people can work through at their own pace online and and for a lot of people that's the best place to start. I think a lot of people like to sort things out on their own first and then maybe they end up at a healthcare provider like a physio's office because they need a little bit more help and other people would rather start with a physio before they start with something like that. Um, so will you talk a little bit about that? And then will you also segue to, you created a program with Lisa Ryan that has to do with tummy tuck rehab, because I think that it's important to also acknowledge that as physios, we might not be able to help people or exercise professionals. We might not be able to take people how far they want to go. And some people elect to have kind of, um, a tummy tuck surgery. And so, Will you talk a little bit about the the current program you have for diastasis and then the other one that you've created because that is also important? Sure, thank you. So the the program that I have for individuals that have diastasis is called the Encore method. And it is my, I guess, application of principles of what I've read through research, of my clinical experience. It's basically a program of progressive exercises that um, take someone through kind of the most gentle, somewhat rehab style exercises and moves them forwards and gives them a path forwards. Um, and it does it in a very step-by-step manner so that they feel comfortable by the end of that doing exercises that they would pretty much do at the gym or in more advanced programs, um, core, core exercise programs. So it really sets them up for being able to enter the world of fitness and feeling comfortable and confident in that. Um, And as you mentioned, not everybody will be able to achieve their aesthetic goals and even functional goals with rehab and conservative management. And there are growing a growing number of people that are actually going and getting a tummy tuck surgery. The the stats on that um, really are just showing that there are more and more people seeking out the surgery. But the unfortunate thing is there is very little information on how to rehabilitate the core afterwards, the things that you can do to help yourself become stronger again afterwards. Um, There's an abundance of information for how to help diastasis conservatively. And there's essentially zero information on how to help it post-surgically. So Lisa, Marie, Ryan, and I are trying to fill that void. And we have a program for those who do do decide to get the surgery. We have a program for them to, that will help them go through a, a series of sort of rehabilitation exercises, but it also progresses to advanced fitness all within the same program so that they feel fully confident and strong again within their core. There's just, you would think there's so much fear around exercising your core if you have diastasis, but add 10 times the amount of fear after having the surgery. Um, And that's what you're dealing with when it comes to post-op. So we address pretty much all of that through the program. So we address it from an emotional standpoint, a psychological standpoint, but then also a physical standpoint on um, just in terms of the rehabilitation and the exercise series. 
So it's a pretty comprehensive program. We've been getting really great feedback on it um, and it seems to be helping a lot of people. So that is available as well. So people no longer have to have no help, no support afterwards, at least from an online standpoint, there is something there as well. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. And actually kind of on a personal note, I, I myself had that surgery almost two and a half years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, for that same reason, I felt like I've learned a lot along the, my own journey as a physio and all we talked about kind of the emerging evidence and applying all that. But I, I realized firsthand, like I just couldn't take myself to the place that I wanted to be. Uh, And for me, it was a great decision, but um, I am always thankful for the amount of information I've had along the way to feel less nervous. And I think that even if you are considering a surgery, it's helpful to work with someone, again, not fear-based information or not someone that's, oh, you don't need that. Because I think that is another really, we're not going to get into this now, but that's another thing that I think sometimes we don't do a good job of as physios is validating that we can't be everything to everybody. Um, and so... Um, yes, I've had a lot, I documented it all on YouTube for the benefit of people to see that you're not the only one having a hard time after, but I've mm-hmm. sent multiple people to your program to have the actual like rehab guidance. So I, I know how much work that was for you guys. And so, yeah, thank you for putting that all together. Oh, no. Um, first of all, our pleasure. And thank you so much for recommending it and sharing it. It is, it means, means so much. Um, and I just love that we're able to kind of collectively help this very underserved population. So thank you as well. Yeah. Anything else that you feel like we need to hit home on this in this episode, Minera? I mean, I've appreciated your time. Is there anything that you feel like I haven't asked you that's important to share? No, I think we, we covered a lot of it or all of the most important things regarding just zooming out to see what the person um, really needs and wants from the treatment that they're seeking, zooming out to see what other things could be changing along the way beyond just the gap size or looking at tension and stuff like that. Um, And also really just creating a space or holding space to have those open conversations with people so we can get to the heart of what it is that they're hoping to achieve. Well, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I appreciate you and your time today. I appreciate everything you're doing too, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed the show, can I ask you a big favor? Would you do one of three things for me? Number one, leave a review because we could all use a little positive feedback sometimes. Number two, download the episodes because it helps me see what people are interested in. Or number three, share it with somebody else because sharing is caring. Catch you next time.